Well, I can barely stand up here after mountain biking four or five miles today. I know some of you hiked a lot further than that, but it's been a little while since I've mountain biked, so uh, my legs feel like rubber right now. Some of you maybe can identify. Um, need I say steak, men? Okay. There we go, steak. But listen to me, guys. Don't fall asleep on me because you got a good steak in your stomach, okay? All right? Uh, I want to just mention something that I was thinking about as we were singing that song. Um, the message for tonight. I want you to catch this just a moment. The message for tonight. Christ alone, cornerstone. Weak made strong in the Savior's love. That's our message for tonight, man. Let us pray. Lord God, as we just come to you tonight, uh, we come, Lord, with open hearts and open minds, and we ask that you would teach us. And so, Lord, would you take this vessel and use it to teach all of us in a way that is pleasing in a way that is glorifying to you. In your word, I ask that you would saturate us with your truth. Lord, I thank you for a song like this that teaches what I have to teach in many words in very few words. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. While being interviewed for a boxing match, Mike Tyson was asked for his thoughts about his opponent's style. And Tyson observed, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> you know, as I thought about that, all of us, every one of us has a plan for victorious living until adversity comes. Now, if you're like me, you haven't been in a real fight since maybe... The first grade, right? I won, by the way. But Mike Tyson's words still ring true today. You see, when I was 22 years old, I graduated from college. And to graduate from college, my dad asked me, son, do you want to come and work with me? He had developed a commercial real estate business, and uh, he had built it up to the point where he could pay somebody else. So at 22, I went to work with my father in commercial real estate and began to develop food line, shopping centers, Walgreens, Pizza Huts, and inline strip centers. As we began to do that, I noticed it didn't take very long to begin to mass somewhat of a little fortune for a young man like me. And so by the time I was 26 years old, my net worth was about $1.6 million. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that as a matter of fact because I was an up-and-coming community influencer. Uh, more so, um, not only that, but... I had my house paid for with a three-car garage. I had my Mastercraft ski boat. I went to the lake twice a week, enjoyed a sunset over the dam, and life was good. There was only one problem. I wasn't called to be a real estate professional for the rest of my life. You see, at 18, God called me to the ministry. And between the ages of 18 and 28, I had fought God's call to the ministry and to full-time professional ministry. I didn't think that being a pastor was me. You see, I was the quiet one of our family. Can you imagine? 
how loud the rest of our family might be. But I was a quiet one of our family. I was a math major. And I didn't see myself as a pastor at all. And so as time went on, I struggled with this call. I would draw near to God and every time be compelled to follow him. I'm talking about surrendering your life and your heart completely to him and following him. Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to do. Lord, I'll do, be any person that you want me to be. Lord, I will follow you no matter the cost. That was a call that for 10 years I wasn't willing to answer. That was a call that I struggled with. But through a series of preaching and teaching, and one day my wife walked in uh, from work, and I walked in from work, and we sat down at the dinner table. My wife looked at me after having gone through Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. She looked at me, and she said this, If you want to be a commercial real estate professional for the rest of your life, fine. I'm happy. Just tell me that's what God wants you to do for the rest of your life. That hit me like a ton of bricks because this was nine years and 11 months into the process. I took 24 hours, and it was the most interesting 24 hours of my life, but it was the most yearning after God's 24 hours of my life that I may have ever experienced and fasting and praying and just trying to draw near to God and discern what I should do. And I came back the next day and I said, Honey, I'm with you. God doesn't want me to be a real estate professional for the rest of my life. He wants me to follow him, to follow him in ministry. For me, following call meant the call to full-time ministry. Or put simply, a compelling belief to follow Christ in all things. And then the rest of the blank was serve me in full-time ministry. I thought I would sell some interest in some properties. I thought that I would cash out and use the funds to pay for seminary. It was about $45,000. And when you're operating in millions, $45,000 does not seem like a whole, whole lot. This was my plan. But that's not at all how it happened. God had something else in mind, evidently. Because instead... The house of cards that was my real estate business became, came crashing down. We had done nothing wrong except doing that one business deal. It was a good deal, but we never finished it. You see, when the bank asked for more investment cash, we should have given it to them. The problem was we didn't have it. We were overextended, and the mistake that we made... It was the mistake of being overextended in the real estate business. That's not a good place to be. There was no reason for the bank to ask for more capital. We had half a million dollars in the deal. We were on time and we were on budget. But for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, even to this day, they came to us and said, we need another half a million dollars. And we didn't have it. They did this, and that kicked off a series of events that brought my house of cards crashing down. You see, I thought that 
I had everything planned out and paid for. I had my steps directed. The problem is that God wanted to direct my steps instead of me directing my steps. Has life ever asked something of you that you didn't have? Has life ever asked something of you that you didn't have or couldn't get? As Jason talked about forgiving our debts as we forgive our debtors, speaking pardon from sin and pardon from past sin asks something of us that we don't have. It has asked something of us that only Christ paid for and only Christ can give away. But when it comes battle, to battling temptation, we often think that we can't obtain what we need spiritually to overcome. Did you catch that? When it comes to battling temptation, we often treat that like pardon from past sin. We treat future sin like pardon from past sin, and we know that Christ is the only way that we can pardon from past sin, but the problem is we often treat future sin that way, but there's a different answer. Because when it comes to battling temptation, we can obtain what we need to overcome. And Christ is willing to give it to us. For some of us, maybe constant temptation and the resulting succumbing to sin is eating our lunch. Uh, for some of us, maybe we feel so weak that we might as just well give in to it, whatever it is. You feel so compelled and we're so defeated from victorious living that we might as well just give up. You ever felt that way? You ever felt spiritually that sometimes... Something is being asked of you that you don't have and you can't give. There's good news, men. Because just as we daily and desperately need to pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we also daily and desperately need to turn to Jesus and pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You see, like pardon from past sin, protection from future sin is found in the person and work of Jesus. And so tonight as we open the Bibles and we look at our text tonight, I want to answer three very important questions. And the first question I think I want to answer as it relates to praying for protection and praying uh, against temptation is simply this. What does praying for protection mean? What does praying for protection mean? And number two, I want to ask the question, how do we pray for protection? How do we do it? And then three, what finally causes us to, what causes us to gain the strength we need to ensure that we can rely on Christ in such a way that we're not overcome by temptation, but instead we overcome temptation. And so what does praying for protection mean? Well, when I was in 
the real estate business and everything came crashing down, I was tempted. I was tempted to do something. I was tempted to blame my dad for all of the problems that I was going through. You see, it was he, it was, he was the one that invited me in. He, he was the one that set me up. He, he was the one that showed me the ropes. And I was tempted to blame my father for my current problems. Do you see that connection? Uh, the problem was, as I prayed, God didn't want me to blame him. God wanted me to forgive him. God didn't want me to be angry at him. God wanted me to continue a relationship with him. And the problem is, every time that we get punched in the mouth with some life circumstance, what happens oftentimes is we're tempted. We're tempted to blame somebody else. Uh, we're tempted to uh, comfort ourselves. We're t- as Tony spoke, I was, he, was, he comforted himself through porn. We're tempted uh, to run away from our problems and stick our head in the sand. See, when life punches us in the mouth, we're always tempted to do something other than what God calls us to do. And so, what causes us to gain strength? What does praying for protection mean in the, the midst of this temptations? By the way, when we get punched in the mouth, that's not the only time we're tempted, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of other ways and circumstances through which we as men are tempted in life. But what does praying for protection mean? Number one, praying for protection means recognizing that every one of us is a house of cards, You see, whoever you are, if you think you've got this, you're already defeated. If I think I've got this, I'm already defeated. None of us, not one of us in this room are as strong as we think we are. Matter of fact, we're not spiritually strong by nature at all. We are spiritually weak by nature. Physically strong by nature, but in the flesh, we are spiritually weak. And so if this is true, then our house of cards, so to speak, requires constant reinforcing. And I mean constant reinforcing. And so number one, when we begin to pray for protection, we have to recognize that every one of us is vulnerable. That every one of us is a house of cards that can come crashing down like that. Number two, when we're praying for protection, we have to reinforce ahead of time we have to reinforce ahead of time because history will repeat itself amen history will repeat itself if we wait until the storms of temptation are here we're waiting too long and so we have to think about temptation ahead of time begin to reinforce and strengthen ourselves ahead of time when I lived in Louisiana, I came to Louisiana about six months after Hurricane Katrina hit. And I bought this house that had a little shed in the back. And it was interesting because when I, the first time I ever walked into the shed, there was a bunch of boards laying against the back wall. 
And being a Tennessee boy, I had no idea what these boards were for. Hurricane Katrina, and I'm scratching my head, right? I noticed that these boards already had the, the screws in them. And I noticed once I figured out that they were boards that they were supposed to go over my windows, I noticed that each one of them had a code on it based on the window in which it was to go on. And not only that, but when I went up to the windows and I took the board that was supposed to go to that window and I put it on the window, I noticed that not only did it fit perfectly, but that the screw holes were already there. And what I learned from living in Louisiana when Hurricane Gustav came was that when everybody began to scramble to reinforce their windows and to reinforce their houses, they already had the screws and the boards, the boards label, and the studs were ready. And when Gustav came, it was a matter of popping the boards on the windows, hitting it with the drill a few times, and I was done. You see, people who live in places where storms are, understand how fast storms can come. They understand how rapidly storms can come up on you, and they are ready ahead of time. And in the same way, guys, we have to understand that temptation can come on us, and we've got to be ready. And so what does praying for protection look like? Well, if the Lord's Prayer gives us a general outline that we've been looking at this week or this weekend, Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane provides us the most important view of how to practice praying for protection. Uh, consider the symbolism just for a moment of the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the olive press. The olive press. And pressed olives were produced that made an oil that for centuries was used to anoint kings and priests. And here's Jesus in this garden the night of his arrest called Gethsemane under some of the most intense pressure that he has ever faced. There is no other time in Jesus' life where he faced this kind of intense pressure that he sweat drops of blood. Let's look at Mark 14, 32 and following just for a moment because I want us to look at this story. I think it's so important as it relates to growing in the battle of temptation. It says this in verse 32, and they came to a place and he said to his disciples, sit here until I prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John, note that, and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. Remove the cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came to him a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. As a side note, notice who Jesus takes. He takes his inner circle with him, Peter, James, and John. And it's interesting because these three were not only his inner circle, but they were also the guys who had made the biggest claims about going to the mat and following Jesus. These are the guys he takes with him and says, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Jesus took the men with the biggest claims to show them that they must depend on God through prayer to avert temptation. But I want to notice just for a minute at how Jesus prays. What is the significance of Abba here? Jesus comes in his prayer and he says, Daddy, Father. He cries out to his dad. The most intimate name for a father Jesus uses in his greatest time of need. Notice what he says. He says, in a sense, help, Lord. Help, God. Help, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. A prayer begins with a in God's ability that he can do the impossible. Prayer begins... The prayer to resist temptation begins in God's ability that he can do the impossible. And we won't consistently pray, men, if we're not sure of God's ability. We won't consistently pray if we're not sure of God's ability. So Jesus comes and he says, Daddy. He comes in and he says, Help. I trust you. I believe in your ability. But then he says one more thing that gives us hope, that shows us contentment in God's not only ability, but in God's activity. He says this, yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, doing the will of God was Jesus' most focused and constant activity. Uh, Jesus relates doing God's will to food, because when he said, talks uh, to his disciples in John chapter 4 his disciples are trying to get him to eat some food and nurse himself and he says my food is to do the will of my father contentment in God's activity in the world fuels hope because we know and we see that he is active Jesus didn't just cry out for his father and he didn't just ask for help he showed that he was consistently trusting in God's ability in his life, and in God's activity in his life. And so what happened during this prayer? Well, it's interesting because when we look at Luke's account in this prayer, in Luke 22, starting in verses 39, we find what happened a little more detailed. I was taken back when I saw this, but it makes sense to me. 
It says this in verse 43, Luke twenty two forty three, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, after the angel, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from the ground. And he rose from prayer, and he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray, rise and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. You see, in this moment, even after the angel had come and strengthened him, Jesus did something that is so vital to our walk with him in prayer. Jesus did was that he surrendered his heart to the Father. Jesus surrendered his heart to the Father, and it was an agonizing surrender, men. It was an agonizing surrender, and no one ever said that praying for protection would be easy. But Jesus sweat drops of blood as he prayed over and over again for God's deliverance, for God's deliverance and God's will. And we know that through the cross, Jesus got both. Through the cross and resurrection, Jesus got both God's deliverance and God's will. And so when we surrender our hearts through prayer... We're able to come to a position in our lives before our Father who is Abba. We're able to come to a position before Him where we surrender our hearts and He strengthens us. Because with surrendered hearts come strengthened hands. And this is how God has always operated. God's always operated this way, men. Consider this for just a moment. Consider what God says to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Consider what he says through the prophet Isaiah to Israel. In Isaiah chapter 40, he says this, Who do you say, O Jacob? And who... And as, or what, or why do you say, excuse me, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Men, who has the strength who has the strength? Talk to me. God does. Though youth grow tired and weary, though young men stumble and fall, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and not grow faint. The Lord, his understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. Consider the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.10 just for a moment. I am well content with weaknesses, he says. 
I'm well content with insults, with distresses and persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Consider what he says again in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The strength we have is not in ourselves, men. We must consider ourselves crucified with Christ that our will may be lessened and his will in our life may be magnified. It is Christ that lives in us and it is this identity, this transformation and this approach to God that gives us every opportunity to take hold of his strength by faith through prayer. We take hold of God's strength by faith through prayer. And so what does this look like? Well, think about it this way. Prayers are like roots. The roots do the hard work of strengthening the tree. But the hard work is oftentimes hidden work. You only see what's going on with the tree from the top side. But think about the roots that are growing and developing and spreading to strengthen that tree. For when the storms and the uh, winds come, that tree can stand. The roots go deep, but the roots are hidden oftentimes. And developing a prayer life and taking hold of God's strength is like deepening roots. And it happens on two levels. The first level it has is in our personal development in our personal roots as we take hold of God's strength through prayer we are developing a character and we are developing a a spiritual root that God strengthens us through to use the analogy but it doesn't just stop with personal roots there's also communal roots and ancestral roots we might say Uh, I am who I am today Because my grandmother prayed for me. My grandmother had me over at her house every fifth Friday. There were five uh, grandkids, and we rotated. Every Friday night, we went to our grandmother's house. And she fed us. She gave us to watch Billy Graham, and we talked spiritual things, and she prayed for us. And I am who I am today because my grandmother, my ancestry, prayed for me. But I'm also who I am today because, and you're who you are today, because Jesus prayed for every one of us. Every one of us who would believe and yet not see. You see, we have personal roots, but we all also have ancestral roots. And if we don't have ancestral roots, maybe you grew up in a non-Christian home. We can begin to develop those now in the church as we come together in a community of faith and begin to pray together and begin to confess together and pray that we might grow strong together. And so praying develops our strength to overcome. And praying together gives us a heritage as those who are building commitment to serve God. And so the biggest problem with temptation is not that we can't take hold of God's strength. It's here for us. It's that when we're tempted and then to succumb to sin, it illustrates more often than not our failure to surrender our hearts to God's will and his ways. 
I can tell you that when I sin, it's very simple. And, and maybe it's just this simple to you as well. It's very, very simple. I'm walking along the road, and I'm cruising along, and temptation comes. And when t- temptation comes, all of a sudden, there's a fork in the road. And I have one of two choices to make. I can follow God's will and his ways, or I can follow my will and my ways. It's that simple. And every time I sin, I follow my will and my ways. And it's often. But every time I overcome, it's that I'm following God's will and his ways. And so we strengthen, we strengthen our ability to follow God's will and his ways through the act of prayer. Here's the thing. Jesus was tempted just as we are. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. It is Jesus who comes to our aid. And men, I don't understand it, but something very special happens when we begin to pray for Jesus to come to our aid. Call it metaphysical. Call it what you want. It's the Holy Spirit that ministers to us in something way, in, in some kind of way that through honest prayer that calls on God to help and surrenders our hearts to his will. God meets us and he strengthens us. So whoever you think you are, if you think you've got this in your own strength, you're already defeated. There's no way any of us can overcome temptation on our own strength. But what we have to remember is that while past sin demands the pardon of Christ, future sin promises the strength of Christ. Future temptation promises the strength of Christ. And when we, sooner or later, every one of us, whether it's the circumstances of life, whether it's our own flesh, no matter what it is, sooner or later, every one of us is going to get punched in the face. And when that temptation comes, what will you do? What will you do? Because Jesus teaches us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Dying is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I want to close tonight with a couple of questions that maybe you're asking. Because I know this passage can be challenging. And there's probably a lot of questions that may be popping off in your head. But I want to just illustrate it this way for just a moment. Let me check our time just for a second. I think we're good. Uh, I want to illustrate it this way just for a second. Uh, Tony, come up here. All right. Here's one question that I want us to make sure we catch. What happens when we don't pray? Okay. Because a lot of times we miss praying. I I miss praying, guys. Uh, I have renewed my commitment 
to pray this weekend. A lot of times we miss praying. But catch this. When we, when we miss praying, when we don't pray, here's what happens. Okay? No, don't walk around. Don't walk around. Don't you dare walk around. Okay? You see it? Can he see it? Right? Don't pray. Prayerlessness. Okay? <laughs> Sit down. Have a seat. Thank you. Yay! All right. Here's what happens, guys. What happens when we don't pray? Prayerlessness is a blindfold that makes us unaware of the dangers around us. It's that simple. Prayerlessness is a blindfold that makes us unaware of the dangers around us. Question number five. Does God actually lead us into temptation? Does God actually lead us into temptation? James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. What does James continue on to say? But each one is tempted when he is carried away by his own Okay, uh, Jesus, God doesn't do the tempting, men. Okay, but He can bring us into situations that require many tests and often temptations. He allows us to go through situations. He'll even bring us to situations that, while He's not doing the tempting, okay, the tempting is available through those situations. Does that make sense? Matthew 4 1 is a perfect example where Jesus in the wilderness. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, the Scripture says. But notice what the Scripture says. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Did you catch that? God does not tempt anyone. Okay? He, he cannot tempt anyone. But He will allow us to be in situations where temptation comes. And now, I think if we are just honest, and we all come clean here for just a moment, I really think that if we think about it, if we think about it, there's really no moment in our life that doesn't have the potential for temptation. I mean, I've been, I mean, I'll just confess, guys, I've been sitting in church listening to the sermons before, and there's nasty stuff going through my mind. Ugly stuff. I'm not talking about nasty as in necessarily girly stuff. I'm just saying ugly thoughts that can go through our minds, whatever they may be, in any situation. If we're honest, I think we, we, we know that sometimes even the most sacred moments, we can be thinking the most evil thoughts because we're just human. And so life amount, really does amount to endless choices between belief and unbelief, obedience and disobedience. And the prayer is, Lord, protect me and strengthen me that I, might not, that I may not yield to temptation. Lord, protect me and strengthen me that I may not yield to it. All right? Here's another question that may have come up. Do I have to pray with sweat or even blood for my prayers to be effective? Now, I know you know the answer to that, right? What's the answer? 
No. We don't have to pray like Jesus did necessarily. In order for God to hear our prayers and to answer our prayers, we don't have to sweat drops of blood necessarily. But listen to what the scripture says. The fervent prayers, the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Right? The fervent prayers of a righteous man. Jesus, Jesus prayed and was under such intense pressure that he sweat drops of blood, but it's interesting to note that in that passage, okay, one of the things that Mark tells us is that Jesus wasn't just praying this one. He didn't just pray this one time. He was continually praying this. And sometimes when we face temptation, guys, we have got to continually come and pray, Lord, protect me and strengthen me that I may not yield. Repeat. Lord, protect me and strengthen me that I may not yield to it. Right? Rinse, wash, repeat. Right? We have to come and pray sometimes over and over again and be fervent in our prayers. And so while we don't have to pray uh, drops of blood like Jesus, we, we do. God does sometimes call us to be fervent, but remember... It is God who makes our prayers effective. It is God who answers the prayers. It's not us. It's not our style necessarily. It's, it's not anything about that. God teaches us something as we pray. Sometimes prayer requires persistence. And with that, God teaches much. Finally, here's the last question. When do men experience the highest degree of temptation? When do men experience, remember I said sometimes life punches us in the face and what happens? We're tempted to cheat, we're tempted to blame, we're tempted to do all kinds of things when life punches in the face and, we're, and, and it's not right, right? What, what, there's three things I thought of. Maybe you could think of some others, but here's, here's three that I believe are particularly challenging to men, okay? Number one, when circumstances get out of control. We like to be in control, and we like to fix things. And when circumstances get out of control, some of us, many of us, need to be in control. Okay? Uh, But some of us need to be out of control so that God can be in control for us. Okay? I'll tell you guys, I have, and Ollie can attest to this, I'll confess, I have an incredible knack to do things in my own strength. And over and over again, God has flattened me and leveled me so that I might not think that whatever I'm doing for him, that it is in my own strength. I need that. He knows I need it. And he gives it to me often. Sometimes more often than I ask for. Amen? Uh when I went to Peru uh, two years ago, God flattened me. And I was in a hotel room with Ollie, bawling my eyes out, broken before God because I couldn't speak Spanish. Now, I know that sounds silly, but Ollie's up there laughing like crazy. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. When you're doing things on your own strength, and all of a sudden God takes language away from you and says, Now, minister, what happens? What are you going to do? God can use you without Spanish. Trust me. Absolutely he can. But you've got to depend on him to do it. 
right? And not me. I wanted to use my own strength. By the way, Joe Brewer, stand up just for a second. Joe Brewer is leading our trip this year to Peru. And Ollie Velasquez is going to Peru back there this year or, or this uh, coming September. Uh, if you're interested in going to Peru, talk to Joe and talk to Ollie, okay? Talk to him anyway and learn about the trip uh, because it's an amazing trip down there uh, to Peru to help Meredith and Carlos Block. Circumstances get out of control. We're tempted to blame. We're tempted to shame. We're tempted to avoid responsibility. Uh, question number two. I'm almost done. When a visual stimulus is involved, that one's easy, right? When a visual stimulus is involved, what happens then? We're tempted to lust. We're tempted to gratify. We're tempted to use others, and we're tempted to see others as objects when visual is involved. Number three, number three, when I can elevate my status. When I can elevate my status, I'm tempted to cheat. I'm tempted to lie. I'm tempted to be lazy. I'm tempted to be a victim if I can find a way to elevate my status that I haven't mentioned that you're thinking of right now. And I would just ask that you would share those tonight. If you're thinking of ways that you know that are particularly tempting to men, share those in your groups and let's talk about those. All of us are going to get punched in the face. Are we going to be ready? Guys, it takes prayer. It takes prayer. So as we close tonight, and as we move forward, there is something ha that happens when we surrender our hearts to God through prayer and seek His will wholeheartedly. There's a strength that happens that helps us resist the temptation. And when the fork in the road comes, we can take His way instead of our way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity to come to you, Lord. The opportunity to come and be humble, be yours, to be taught, to discuss with others, to share with others. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you've given us, in particular your spirit that does the strengthening, for without him, we can do nothing. So, Lord, let us abide in you and you at us, that we might produce much fruit. In Christ's name, amen.